0: Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 will begin our time there, though we won't spend as much time there as we did last week. James chapter 2, and again, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word We'll read verses 14 through 26, if you're able. You can stand with me. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see and understand, hear and know what your word is saying to us. We pray that where there has been among us dead faith, that you would bring life. And I ask that you would give to us the trust that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ that is alive and active, that works, that, that does what you have put inside of us in Christ. We ask that you would give us wisdom now as we look at this passage and understand its relation to the rest of your revealed word. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Last week in our time together, we looked exclusively at James's message, the message of this passage, and our goal was to let James speak for James, to not cut off James's message by saying, well, hold on a second, I thought Paul said this, or I thought Jesus said this. We let James speak for himself, and this week we want to ask some clarifying questions and see how James fits in with the rest of Scripture. Now, before we turn to those questions, let's just briefly recap what James told us last week. First, the kind of faith that has no works cannot save you. The type of faith, the kind of faith, that imaginary faith that doesn't work, that kind of faith cannot save you. That's worthless, it accomplishes nothing. Second, Living faith works, and those works are the fruit of faith. Faith that is alive and capable of saving you is active. It works. Living faith works. And third, faith alone cannot vindicate us. It cannot vindicate us, but the works of faith can. The works of faith can. We saw in the examples of Abraham and Rahab that their righteousness was not made known. They were not vindicated until they worked. Their belief did not vindicate them. Their faith did not vindicate them. It was their works. The works of faith can vindicate us. So now that we've allowed James to make his points and we have his, his message in our minds, I want to ask three questions that help us see how James's message fits in with the rest of Scripture, in particular, the New Testament. So we're going to ask three questions this morning. And the first question is, what does James mean by works? What does James mean by works? Faith without works is dead, but what are works? What are they? We could translate this word deeds or actions. That's a fair translation, but works is accurate. You might prefer deeds or actions because of the connotation of works, just theologically and historically, but works is accurate. What does James mean by works? He does not mean, he does not mean Obedience to an external law. That is not what James means by works. It's important for us to clarify this because often when Paul speaks of this same topic, he's talking about works of the law. He is talking about those who would seek to do externally uh, the works of the law. But that's not what James is talking about in our passage. What does he mean? He means the outworking of an internal reality. James is not talking about the external conformity to a law, but the inward, the outworking of an internal reality. He's not talking about conformity to an external law like pressing Plato into a mold Rather, he's talking about the outworking of an internal reality like a tree producing fruit. You do not get a tree to produce fruit by pounding it into a mold. It's not an external reality, it's an internal reality. Look back at James chapter 1, verse 2, and we see this idea. Chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." As our faith is tested, steadfastness is produced. It's developed, and that steadfastness grows so that we are mature and complete. And then look ahead to chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And he describes that wisdom down in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and so on. So what James means by works is not that you conform yourself to an external law, but rather God has done something in you and works are what comes out from that reality. Someone claims to be wise, James says, demonstrate that wisdom. Show me that wisdom. You claim to have the internal reality of wisdom, then show me by what you do. Works then are not obedience to an external reality, but the outworking of an internal reality. Our second question, second question, is there a conflict between James and Paul? Is there a conflict between James and Paul? This is maybe historically how it's been framed. Paul says this, but James says this, so pick. Who do you want to side with? Now, we need to admit that on the surface, it certainly appears that there is a conflict. On the surface, it certainly appears so. It's important that we not uh, underestimate or whitewash the difficulty that there is in looking at Paul and James. Paul and James don't appear to be saying the same thing. I think it's also very important that we not side with Paul against James or side with James against Paul. To do so is folly. No matter which side you pick, you will find that you are in opposition to God. God has inspired both. Don't pick sides in that way. But don't be ashamed to admit that it really looks like Paul and James are at odds. It really does. Let me just read you three pairs of passages from James and Paul. Now, I'm going to trim these verses so that you get the focus of the conflict. But these are all direct quotes. I'm not adding words or, or taking them out. I'm trimming them off. But that's it. These are direct quotes. Paul, in Romans 3.28, one is justified by faith apart from works. James 2.20, faith apart from works is useless. Paul says one is justified by faith apart from works. James says faith apart from works is useless. They seem to be saying different things about faith apart from works. Paul in Romans 4.2, if Abraham was justified by works and his implication, he was not. And James in 2.21 says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? James, Abraham was not justified by works. I'm sorry, Paul James uh, Abraham was not justified by works James Abraham was justified by works. They seem to understand Abraham's justification in different ways. And then Paul in Galatians 2:16, we know that a person is not justified by works James 2:24 you see that a person is justified by works. That's quite a conflict, or on the surface it is. It looks that way. Don't be scared to admit that reality. That's true anywhere in the Bible, by the way. And we could do a similar exercise with the teachings of Jesus and say, well, look, it looks like Jesus contradicts himself. He says this one place. He says this another place. And I think uh, if you're faithful in your reading, especially of the book of Proverbs, this won't be a new idea to you. That it is not uncommon for God to put alongside each other two apparently contradictory ideas. And from looking at those two, we gain wisdom. It may look this way, but as you look closer, it's not. It's something different. So don't be scared. Paul and James appear to be in conflict, but in reality, there is no conflict. In reality, there is no conflict. There's no ultimate conflict between Paul and James. Now, of course, we're not going to be able to, in our time this morning, look at everything that Paul says and everything that James says and discuss every potential conflict. But I think the main reason that it looks like Paul and James are saying different things is that they are focusing on different aspects of salvation. They're not focusing on the same thing. Uh, you know the, the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be A and not A at the same time and in the same way. That's how it's presented usually and logic. Well, the same can be said about Scripture. If Paul and James are talking about the same thing in the same way and saying different things, there is a conflict. But if they're talking about the same thing in different ways, or if they're talking about different things, then there is no ultimate contradiction. So they're not talking about, they're not focusing on the same aspects of salvation. Paul, number one, Paul is focused on the basis or the cause of salvation. Paul focuses on the basis or the cause of salvation. Okay, that's his focus. Let me show you this. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Paul wants to talk about the basis or the cause of salvation. And he says, beginning in verse 30, Romans 9.30, What shall we say then? That Gentiles... Israel pursued a righteousness, but they pursued that righteousness as if it were based on works, as if they would become righteous through their works. And so, did they attain it? No, they did not, because they didn't pursue it by faith. They pursued it as if they could attain it by their works. And Paul says, that will not happen, it cannot happen. And then just a couple chapters over in Romans 11. Romans 11 verse 6, Paul says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And his argument in in simple form is, If I do works, and through those works God gives me salvation, then I have earned salvation. But if I believe in Jesus Christ, and through that belief God grants me salvation, I have received not wages, but grace. And I must attain salvation by faith, or I have earned it. And then grace is no longer grace. So we can't get it backwards. It is critical that we understand it rightly. But what is Paul focusing on? Paul is focusing on the basis or the cause of salvation. Listen to Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. If you rely on your works, works of the law to be saved, you're under a curse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a familiar and beloved passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then Titus 3, five he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Why has he saved us? Not because of works. If we rely on works in order to be saved, we're under a curse. Paul's focus is on the basis or the cause of salvation. But on the other hand, James, his focus is the evidence or result of salvation. James's focus is the evidence or result of salvation. How do you know if you have been saved? What happens if you are saved? What's the result, the outworking of that salvation? Well, Paul often deals with how we can be saved, not by works of the law, but through faith, James is explaining what our lives should look like if, indeed, we are saved. Just a few passages out of James illustrate this. You can flip along if you want, but I'll go quickly. James 1, 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And then he says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So if you claim to be religious, if you claim to have faith, and yet you don't bridle your tongue, your faith is worthless. It's worthless. Throw it away. He says, my brethren 2 1, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then 3:10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And what's the illustration? What's the meaning? If you are of faith, you do not produce wickedness. If your faith, if what's inside of you, the reality of what's inside of you is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then guess who is shown by what you do? The Lord Jesus Christ. So James focuses on what sort of people we should be, if indeed we are saved. Paul's focus is on how can we be saved? What is the basis of our salvation? And let me summarize this, uh, these two teachings this way. Paul wants us to know that if we rely on works as the basis of our salvation, we will not be saved. James wants us to know That if we rely on our faith as the evidence of salvation, we have not been saved. Paul wants us to rely on faith as the basis for salvation. James does not want us to rely on faith as the proof of salvation. Very important distinction. Now, what I want to spend the bulk of our time on is our third question. Is this teaching unique to James? Is it unique to James that he would say, you might have a faith that is dead and worthless? Is it unique to James that says, your faith ought to work? Your faith ought to do? Is there anywhere else in the Bible that would give us the same teaching? And I want you to hear loud and clear, this is not unique to James. This is the universal teaching of the Bible. It may not be universally emphasized, but it is the universal teaching of the New Testament. And I want us to spend most of our time on the first part, A, it was the teaching of Jesus. This is the same teaching that Jesus had. That's where James learned it. He's not inventing something He is giving us a a message that is in perfect harmony with what Jesus himself gave us. Now, we're going to look at five passages, uh, beginning with Matthew chapter seven. I'm thankful that from this pulpit, Pastor Jeremy has been very clear on this message. And as we worked our way through the book of Luke in particular, we saw this same idea repeatedly. Is it true that you can be saved by faith alone? Yes. Is it true then that any faith alone will save you? No. It is faith alone that saves you, but that doesn't mean that because you have faith, you are saved. It has to be the right kind of faith, and of course, it has to be faith in the right person. It cannot be faith in your works. It cannot be faith in your righteousness or... Some other false teaching. So, Matthew chapter 7, and let's start in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Sound familiar? James said very similar thing. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So what does Jesus say in his opening sermon, the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say to his disciples? You will know them by their fruit. That's how you will know them, by what they do. By what they do. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, not everyone who claims to be my disciple is my disciple. Not everyone who says they believe in me does actually believe in me. How will we know whether or not they really believe and are really saved by what they do? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Verse 21, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does that mean they're saved because they do those works? No. They're saved because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if they truly believe, what will they do? They will do his works. They will do his works. So Matthew 7 We could go all the way down. You know the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house on the rock. And Jesus' conclusion in, in, uh, in the parable is, it is those who hear my word and do it that are the wise men. It is not those who hear my word and say they believe. It is those who hear my word and obey it that are actually saved by faith. So Matthew 7, 15 to 27, you will recognize them by their fruits, by their fruits, by what they do. Then in chap- in Luke chapter 8, flip over to Luke. And I'm I'm obviously cherry-picking. This is not all of the passages that deal with it. It's all over the place, but our time is limited. Luke chapter 8, and a parable that you've probably heard and are familiar with the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8 and verse 5 Jesus says a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then he explains the parable down in verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 11. Now the parable of is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. They heard the word, but are they saved? No, they did not believe and are not saved. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. They say they believe. But these have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Now, don't understand that they believed and were saved and then lost their salvation, rather that they believed and were never saved because their faith was dead. They did not fall away in the sense of losing their salvation. They fell away from their faith. Their faith is dead. So some will believe for a while. They'll believe for a while and then fall away. They are not saved. And I would say, though I don't have time to prove it right now, they were never saved. Now, Those two passages, I think, are helpful in showing us. Jesus told us all along, you're going to know what people believe by what they do. That's how you're going to know what people believe. It doesn't matter what they say. There's going to be a lot of people on, on the judgment day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many things in your name? And if they did many mighty works in his name, of course they professed faith in him how do they even address him lord lord they claim to be saved but in the in reality they don't know him and what does jesus say i don't know you i never knew you i never knew you okay now i think maybe most helpfully for us is to turn to john and the reason that i think this is so helpful is because often it's a misunderstanding of john in particular, that exposes us to this idea that you can believe and that belief doesn't ever do anything and you're still saved. If we look at what Jesus says in John 3, we will see that is not what he is saying. John chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you take that at its face value, the math is simple. All you need to do is believe in him and you will not perish. You will have eternal life. Simple math. And that math is true. It's right. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not perish, but have eternal life life. But the question we have to ask is, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Now, as Jesus goes on in his explanation to Nicodemus, he continues 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He's making the math very simple. Believe you're not condemned. If you do not believe, you are condemned. You've already been condemned. But he goes on in 19... And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What does Jesus bring into the equation in John chapter 3? Works. He brings works into it. Who are those that come to the light? Whoever does what is true comes to the light. Why? In order to be saved? No, in order that it might be seen that his works have been carried out in God. And he says, why doesn't the world, the light has come into the world. Why don't people love the light and come to the light? Because their deeds are evil. Because their deeds are wicked. So is it true that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved? Yes, it is true. But it is not true that if you really believe in Jesus, you will do, continue to do, live in darkness. You will come to the light so that it might be clearly seen that your works have been carried out in God. It is not you who get credit for those works. It is God who gets the glory because he's the one who did the work in your heart. He gave you a new heart so that you might love the light. And why doesn't the world love the light? Because their deeds are wicked. Their deeds are evil. They hate the light. They don't want to come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. So what we do exposes who we are. What we do exposes, it shows, it demonstrates who we are. And then turn over to John 14. John chapter 14, and I want to start in verse 12, and I I want you to hear, this is what Jesus is saying. This isn't James reinterpreting Jesus, this is James explaining exactly what Jesus explained. Jesus agrees with James. More importantly, James agrees with Jesus. Okay, John 14 and start in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Oh, (laughs) that helps me understand John 3.16, doesn't it? Because whoever believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus does. Because I am going to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth Now, pay attention to verses twenty-one to twenty-four. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, note they're they're in the upper room. This is. Very close to the end in John, chronologically. Right at the end, Passion Week, in the upper room, the night of Jesus' betrayal. And who who are we thinking of in that room doesn't belong there? Judas. He doesn't belong there. And what do you think the disciples are wondering? Well, how on earth could we have known that Judas didn't actually believe in Jesus? And Jesus is giving us the answer. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now he's going to go on from there. But what is his message to the disciples? How do you know whether or not you love me? Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And verse 24, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. What has he done? He's made a one-to-one correlation between love and keeping his commandments. If you do not keep his commandments, verse 24 tells us you don't love him. And verse 21 tells us, if you do keep his commandments, you do love him. But is Jesus saying that this is then work salvation? That you're saved by obeying his commandments? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Turn over to chapter 15, verse uh, number four. If we love Jesus, we keep his word. If we love him, we keep his word. And then turn over to chapter 15, which I read during communion last week, but we didn't discuss. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So two types of branches— As he says it here, they're both in me. What's the difference between the branches? Those that bear fruit and those that do not. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, let me just pause here because it connects perfectly to what we're talking about in salvation. Do you get to be in the vine by bearing fruit? Do you do works like the 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 gardener is out looking in the yard and says, "Oh, there's a a, a grapevine. There's a branch with a lot of grapes on it. I better put it in the vine." Does that ever happen? Do you ever walk through your yard and find branches out in the yard with a bunch of fruit on them? You, I I've done that. You know what it means? It means raccoons and deer. Uh, that's what it means. Someone broke the branch off. How do we know that someone broke the branch off? Because branches don't bear fruit. Not on their own, they don't. When is the only time a branch bears fruit? When it's part of the tree or when it's part of the vine. And Jesus says, every branch, the only reason you bear any fruit is because you're in me. You don't get to be in him because you have enough fruit. But you cannot bear fruit apart from him. So if you're not in him, you won't bear fruit. And if you do not bear fruit, he says, he's going to, to cut you off and put you into the fire. So Jesus says, you, you're not added into me. I don't graft you into my vine because you've got enough fruit. Rather, if you are in me, you will bear fruit. Okay, let's pick it up in five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you're cut off from the vine, you will do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So does it make sense for branches to say, hey, I have faith. And even though I don't have any works, I know where I'm going. That makes no sense at all. How do we know that we are in Christ? How do we know that we are in the vine? Because we bear much fruit. That's how we know. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How does Jesus say we will prove to be his disciples? Very simply by bearing much fruit. Are we talking about doing works of the law, conforming to an external law? No, 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 no. We're talking about abiding in Christ. Like a vine branch. We abide in the vine. And as we abide in the vine, he produces fruit from us. The internal reality is worked out in what we do. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And I I mentioned it earlier earlier. I got the passage wrong in regard to Judas. What he says elsewhere is that Judas knew the word, but did he love it? No, he was a pilferer from the beginning. He knew from the beginning whose was his and whose was not. And how did the disciples know that Judas was the one who betrayed him? How did the disciples know? When Judas went out and hanged himself. That's how the disciples knew. The disciples looked at Judas at that point and didn't have any idea that Jesus was talking about them, but it was by what he did that they finally saw who he was. Okay, uh, so number five, John 15, bearing fruit proves that we are are his disciples. Does it earn salvation? Is it that we do a bunch of fruit, we bear a bunch of fruit, and then we finally have enough and we earn salvation? God forbid. No, no, no. But bearing fruit proves that we already are his disciples. So is this teaching unique to James? No, it was the teaching of Jesus. Second, it was the teaching of the apostles. Of course, I have to be selective. And for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and just skip Peter. I'm sorry, Peter. I give you the verses there, but Peter knows from the beginning there are those who claim to believe. Simon Magus, I give you the, the verses there in Acts 8. Simon Magus says he believes, and guess what? He's even baptized. And then he tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from Peter. And Peter says, You are perishing. Your gold perish with you. You are not, you have nothing to do with us. Why does Peter say that? I thought believing was enough. Yes, except what kind of belief did he have? Apparently, he had the kind of belief that said, if you have money, you can buy the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, you don't have anything to do with, it, with us. You're going to perish. You're, you are perishing, even though he believed. So not all belief saves. It is the right kind of faith that saves. Okay, uh, then John Uh, And because we looked at it, turn back to John 3. This is not the teaching of Jesus. This is John writing after Jesus. John 3, 36. So this is after Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. And then John clarifies in case Jesus wasn't clear enough. John clarifies... Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Oh, that's incredible. Anyone who believes, anyone who believes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't obey shall not see life. What does that tell you? There's a one-to-one correspondence between those who truly believe and those who obey. If you do not obey the Son, you will not see life. The wrath of God abides on you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's John. And then flip over to 1 John, or just listen. Yeah, let's just listen. Uh, well, you're welcome to flip, but I'm going to go quickly. First John 2, 3, I'll just read this. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know if we have come to know him? How do we know if our faith is real? If we keep his commandments. If we obey him, we know we have come to know him. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. He could not be more clear. You say that you know him. You claim to have faith. Can that faith save him? James says, that faith is worthless. John says, you are a liar. The truth is not in you. You don't know him because if you know him, you will keep his commandments. And then lastly, Paul I want to show you, and I don't have time to develop a lot of it, but I'm going to at least be able to read some of this. This is exactly what Paul himself taught. I said earlier, there is no conflict ultimately between James and Paul. I want you to see that James's message, that if your faith doesn't change you, if your faith doesn't work, it's dead. That's exactly what Paul thought too. There is no conflict between James and Paul. First Corinthians chapter six, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, if you've heard what I've said, you're in the church and you go on practicing your idolatry, your swindling, your uh, drunkenness, your homosexuality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. Your faith is worthless. Galatians 5, 19, Galatians, this is where Paul and James are said to have conflict, where Paul says it is by faith and faith alone. And I, that's not a quote, but by faith alone that you are saved. And at the end of his discussion, this is what he says in Galatians five nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul wants you to know you can be saved from those things. But do not claim that while you go on practicing those things and giving yourself to those things that you are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then last in Ephesians 5, again, after Paul has already explained, salvation is by faith. It is on the basis of faith, not the basis of works. He then goes on in chapter 5 to say, verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Don't be deceived, though you are saved by faith alone. If your faith is the kind of faith that doesn't work, if your faith is the kind of faith that looks at your sin and says, ah, no big deal, I'm going to go on being an idolater. I'm going to go on being immoral and impure. Your faith is dead. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is the message of James, and that is the message of the New Testament. As I call the worship team forward, let me close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice that by faith and faith alone we are saved. And we rejoice that as we believe in you, as we abide in you and you abide in us, You produce in us the fruit of righteousness, which demonstrates and proves that we are your disciples. I pray that you would guard us from the error of trying to earn entrance into the kingdom, but also guard us from the error that would say, I do not work. All I do is believe. I never work. I never do. May we work heartily as Abraham did. May our faith work along with our works, and may it complete our salvation. May it show and demonstrate our salvation as fruit on a tree completes the purpose of those branches. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.